Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and advance the mission of your nonprofit or your freelance grant writing business. All right, so we have a great show for you in store today, and as we delve into month one of Q4, <laughs> even more, we have more on nonprofit leadership training for you because. We know at this time of the year, a lot of y'all are executive directors and you are looking at end of your campaigns, you're looking at your leadership, you're looking at strategic planning and so much more. So to help me do that today, I have Gregory Nielsen on the show and he has a podcast as well. So it's a lot of fun because I've been on his podcast and now for him to come on mine, it's just so much fun. So he has a wonderful podcast. So for all you listeners out there, you can definitely jump over to his uh, podcast, Nonprofit Vision. So it's definitely um, a place for you to look at critical issues in nonprofit leadership so you can check that out. And we'll have uh, the links in the show notes today at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 293. And for those of you who are interested to increase your grant writing skills or to start or grow a grant writing business and actually get paid to write grants because you are needed. Jump over to our website, grantwritingandfunding.com and join our Hub Haven, which is our weekly email uh, newsletter series, so you can get more information on that. We also have, you'll be able to get into our Hub Haven right away where we have a bunch of resources so you can access our free grant writing class right away and also our freelance grant writing uh, resources that we have as well because our spicy belief is that every single grant writer should open a business. <laughs> All right, so you definitely want to check out why we believe that on our website as well and get into our newsletter so you can get more information from us. And just to let you know, support for this podcast episode is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. To hear the full story, visit bloomerang.com, and that's B-L-O-O-M-E-R-A-N-G.com forward slash grant writing podcast. All right, check it out there. We love our, our friends and our sponsors um, and all of the support that they bring to this show to help the grant writing and nonprofit industry grow so much more. All right, so back to Gregory and our topic today. So we are definitely gonna be talking about habits of dynamic leadership. He's gonna be talking about board governments, building board and strategic planning, and just really looking at those habits and how it relates to fundraising and philanthropy. You're gonna get so much out of this episode today, so do tune in. Even if you're a freelance grant writer, who are you communicating with at nonprofits? The executive director, 
right? So it's really important to hear these types of things too because you as a freelance grant writer can also offer other services like board training, strategic planning, nonprofit wellness audits, and so much more. And we actually have those resources within our grant professional mentorship and our freelance grant writer academy to help you uh, diversify your income so you can offer other funding strategies besides just grant writing. So about Gregory Nielsen, he is president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting. He's an experienced nonprofit CEO, previously served as CEO of the Center of Nonprofit Excellence, expanding the reach of the organization to serve more than 500 nonprofit organizations through consulting and professional development. During this time, Gregory also helped launch Destination Excellence, a six-month leadership development program for nonprofit executives and Circles of Excellence, a peer-to-peer -peer learning program for nonprofit leaders. The growth and accomplishments of the Center of Nonprofit Excellence under his leadership were recognized locally and nationally, and the organization was honored with awards from the Better Business Bureau for Ethics and the Louisville Urban League for Champion Diversity. Gregory is also a military veteran, having previously served as an officer and attorney in the United States Army Judge Advocates General Corps, and he holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Government International Relations from the University of Notre Dame. In 2016, Gregory was also named a 40 Under 40 honoree by Louisville Business First Publication. Once again, for more information on how to get a hold of Gregory, visit grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 293. All right, here's Gregory. It is a pleasure to be with you, Holly. It's great to see you again. Yes, absolutely. And I was just recorded on your podcast. So for you podcast listeners out there, Gregory has a podcast as well. You want to go ahead and just give a bite right now so people know where to find you on that podcast. Absolutely. It's called Nonprofit Vision. Holly was one of our phenomenal guests. Her episode is going to go live in the next couple of weeks. And you can find it on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple or Google or whatever works best for you. I love it. And you know, it's so much fun to have other podcasters on our show, like, and to, you know, kind of interviews because you have the experience of you know being a speaker and you also have not just on a podcast as a speaker but you run your own company and you do a lot of speaking at conferences featured speaker and all of that and you really focus on a board development strategic planning and really highlighting that governance and leadership and I so appreciate that because as a grant writer for nearly two decades and working with grant writers working with nonprofit developers or nonprofit executive leaders what we find is a lot of times there's a gap between like the grant writing and the fundraising and the leadership. I'm so glad that you're on the show today and you're going to be talking about that gap and how we can bridge that gap. So thank you again for coming on and all of your amazing knowledge and wisdom that you're going to be sharing with us today about that. Holly, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. I think the best consultants, you know, they're lifelong learners. And so we love conversations like these where we get to bounce ideas off of each other and also learn from each other because that's ultimately what improves all of us. Absolutely. I love that so much. And yeah, so, okay, so diving in, let's just hear a little bit about you. Like what got you into the whole, this whole field? Because it's very niche, right? We're talking about, you do a lot with leadership, a lot with governance training in the nonprofit industry. So kind of like, and you've been doing this for more than 10 years, like what's your story? <laughs> 
<laughs> the common thread that runs through my career, Holly, is public service. I'm a lawyer by background. Um, I started my career as an officer in the Army, uh, and I was in the JAG Corps. So I was litigating court-martial cases for the Army all across the United States. I later got into nonprofit leadership completely by fluke, right? It was an organization that I was passionate about. I knew nothing about nonprofit leadership, knew nothing about fundraising or governance, but the opportunity arose to take over as their CEO. And I stepped in and immediately realized everything that I didn't know. That became my jam. My background was learning from as many different people as possible. My staff members, my board members, other nonprofit leaders in the community. It was about soaking up as much as I could. So I served as a nonprofit CEO of two different organizations for a little over a decade. And then in 2018, I launched my own company, Nielsen Training and Consulting, where I get to work with nonprofit leaders all across the country, as you mentioned, in the areas of board governance, strategy, organizational development, all the fun stuff that goes into running an organization. Oh, I love that. I love that story. And I love that you're coming from like that law background. And, it, you know, it's kind of ironic is actually a lot of the grant writers in my grant professional mentorship, I wouldn't say a lot, but I definitely there's always a percentage that have been a lawyer. There's a whole separate group out there <laughs> called recovering lawyers. Yeah, it's like, I, I think they really like resonate with grant writing because it's very like a process, right? It's very analytical. There's like some type of that mind that comes in and says, there's this problem if, I need to solve and figure it out, right? So if you think back to law school, what law school is, is about logic. It's about training your mind to see situations and scenarios and to logically work them to a conclusion. And a lot of that is what grant writers are doing as well. They're looking at a scenario, they're looking at a challenge or a problem, and they're saying, how can I structure an argument? How can I structure a case for support to generate resources to address this challenge that I see? Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys make excellent grant writers as well. That's but I can also see the crossover with it being impacting and being so uh, resonating so well with nonprofit leadership because it's a lot of those same things like, oh, they might not know like how to do X or, you know, a lot of people that are nonprofit leaders, it's not like uh, they might not be business owners. They may not, right? They don't have maybe business acumen or other types of knowledge. They're volunteers and they've gotten, you know, they're passionate about the cause, but they're not really sure how to run a business. They don't have those necessary skills at this point, you know? So there's a lot of different issues that can come up because of that. So if, do you see that quite often or in your work? Absolutely. So Holly, it's like any other business. It's, it's important that everybody have a role and understand what is the role that I play in this organization? How do I best use my gifts, my strengths to benefit the organization? But we can't exist in silos. We yeah. can't just have the grant department over here and the senior leadership team over there. Never the two shall meet. Right, right? We right. have to be aligned around what is our common vision? What is our mission? How are we getting there? How can my work as a leader support you as a grant writer and put you in the best position to succeed? And how can I as a grant writer put our organization's leadership in position to succeed? And overarching that is the board, right? Mm -hmm. So many times I hear from grant writers and from um, fundraising professionals, development directors that say, I cannot get the board to understand who we are and what we do. And that's one of the biggest breakdowns that can occur. No, yeah, I absolutely think, yeah, I see that a lot. And, and vice versa, the board can be getting frustrated because they're like, aren't you hearing the direction, you know, that we're kind of looking at and aren't we, it's like they're not talking sometimes, right? And I see that a lot with grant writers and fundraising 
people they're like, okay, the board is just, oh my gosh, they want me to write all these grants and they're doing two weeks. Yes. <laughs> right. So can you kind of talk to that? Like, oh, sometimes that communication, especially with fundraising and grant writing, because it is like you said, if it's siloed out a little bit or they're just not a part of the board, right? How is this conversation to be had? It's about regular communication. You know, how does the board get information about what you're doing as a grant writer? Sometimes that's delivered by the executive director at board meetings. Sometimes the grant writer or development director is present at the board meeting. Regardless of how it happens, the board has to have a picture of what is the what is the annual plan look like, right? So it's not about how many grants can I cram into the month of March, right? <laughs> it's about how does this all fit together? This is like a grand puzzle. We establish a budget at the beginning of the year. The budget tells us we need to raise X amount of dollars this year. The philanthropy plan of the organization, and that includes the board's role in philanthropy, that includes the staff's role in philanthropy, has to fit together like a puzzle. And it can't just get patched together like, let's jam it all through this month and then not do anything for three months. It really has to be an understanding of how does our plan lay out for the year, combination of our grants, our direct donations, our annual fund, our event, whatever other events we have for the organization, the board's direct appeal. How does all of that fit together into one puzzle? So we all know our role, but we also have respect for the time commitment and the resources it takes to be successful in those roles. I love that. So, and, and, and it sounds so simple when you're saying it, like, yes, <laughs> right. So it sounds simple, but how does that happen? Right. If, if, do we want to have, like, I know you mentioned, like, sometimes it is having that grant writer or the ED represent the grant writer, you know, at that meeting to fill in the board, but is, do you kind of recommend more of that staff and board, you know, kind of collaboration at some point in a strategic meeting or just even during a retreat or something just to have more communication? I think it has to start with a foundation of trust. Okay. Right? We have to ensure that the board understands its role in governance before we can invite the staff into wow. those board discussions. Right. Wow. If we don't, if we don't have that solid foundation of the board understanding your role is governance, not management, and we bring the staff in, we're almost inviting that micromanaging board. We're almost inviting them to get down into the weeds and start messing around with stuff, right? We don't want them in the weeds. We don't want them messing around with yeah. that stuff. So I think we start with the foundation of mm -hmm. this is what effective governance looks like. This mm -hmm. is your role. These are the habits and the practices of really healthy, effective boards. Once the board understands that, that then opens a door for the executive director to invite the grant writer in, to invite the development director in, to divide, invite the director of programs in, the CFO, whoever those other staff members are, because the board then has a lens. They have a context to say, okay, this is why this person is speaking and addressing the board right now. This is what we as a board are going to do with that information. Mm -hmm. And so it provides that, that context so that they don't go astray. So I think you start with the foundation, but then I think it's healthy and appropriate for the board to know who are the senior staff members of this organization? What role do they play? What are their successes? You know, we want to celebrate those. Where are they running into some challenges that we as a board may be able to address with them? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so good. I love that so much. And I love that start with like governance and otherwise it can definitely lead to micromanagement. I've seen so many boards like kind of become 
the executive staff, you know what I mean? Right. And then that executive director is more like an executive assistant being, you know, like, here's what you need to do, right? <laughs> no one is born knowing what it means to be a great board member, right? Mm -hmm. All board members want to be great. None of us are born that way. Mm -hmm. Very few have gone through any formal training or any had any educational background in what good governance looks like. So we can't just expect that as board members show up, that they're automatically going to know and understand what good governance looks like. We have to take them by the hand. We have to show them this is the role of the board. This is how this piece, this governance piece happens in a way that's healthy, in a way that is responsible, in a way that promotes and, and amplifies the efforts of our staff. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned a, a word here, you said the healthy habits of a board. So, and I know you really speak on that. So can you kind of tell us what some of those healthy habits are and how board members can really, you know, implement them as well? Holly, boards are like all of us. We all have habits, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have habits, you have habits. Some of our habits are healthy, right? They serve us well. We want to make sure we keep those. Some of our habits hold us back and mm -hmm. we want to break them because they're not, they're preventing us from reaching our full potential, right? Boards are no different. A healthy board sits down and understands what are our habits? Let's make two columns. Which are the ones that are serving us well that we want to memorialize and we want to make part of the culture and tradition of this board so that when I rotate off the board or when you rotate off the board, that healthy habit stays as part of the fabric of the organization. And then over here, which of those habits are holding us back? Maybe it's poor communication. Maybe it's micromanaging. Maybe it's not fully understanding or embracing our role in fundraising and philanthropy. And those are the ones we want to prioritize. We want to address and find different ways to go about them so we can move them over into that healthy that healthy habit culture. I love that. Yeah. And what are some examples then of like healthy habits? Because you mentioned a couple of like poor habits, maybe like Five. There are five healthy habits uh, of dynamic boards, right? We always love numbers. So we always yeah. love to be able to put a number to it. The first is they define expectations meticulously, mm -hmm. meaning if I'm on the board, if you are on the board, we both have a crystal clear understanding of what our job description is and what's expected of us. What's expected of us in terms of attendance at board meetings? What's mm -hmm. expected of us in terms of a give, a gift? to the nonprofit or a opening doors for the executive director or the development staff. We're crystal clear on that job description. None of us would take a nine to five job that came with a, a description that just said, do the best you can, be a good <laughs> board member, right? We don't yeah. know what that means. We need the specifics in there that come with a clear expectations document. So that's always number one. That's the first habit of healthy boards. Mm -hmm. The second is healthy boards recruit thoughtfully and intentionally, mm -hmm. meaning it's not about filling seats. It's right. not about, can we go from 10 board members to 15 board members this year? Mm -hmm. The question that begs is why, right? Exactly. If the 10 are super effective, why do we need 15, mm -hmm. right? So healthy boards recruit, they understand who's on the team, what skills, talents, perspectives do they bring? Where do we have gaps? And how do we go about intentionally filling those gaps? That's the second habit. The third is healthy boards orient thoughtfully, meaning we don't just expect people to show up on day one and know what it means to be a great board member. We take the time to introduce them to the organization. Where have we come from? Where are we now? Where are we heading? What's our dream? What are the challenges that we're up against? If I understand the landscape as a board member, I'm much better able to plug in and be effective. 
Healthy boards govern effectively. And then the final thing that healthy boards do, and this is the one, Holly, that's overlooked by most boards, is they are willing to evaluate themselves frequently. They're willing to hold a mirror up to themselves and say, as a team, as a board, what do we do well? These are the things that we do really well. And as a team, what are we struggling with? And how do we set priorities to address those? Because boards simply don't have the time or the bandwidth to try to do everything all at once. Mm -hmm. It's much better to focus on this year. These are the two or three areas that we want to shore up as a board, rather than here are the 15 things that we want to try and juggle like, like balls in the air. I love that. I love those processes. And I love that you say that too, because that's when I'm doing strategic planning as well. It's like, pick your three goals. (laughs) You know, you may have a list, like you said, of 15, but Uh select the, you got to prioritize. You have to, because you are limited in people, resources, monies, right? All of the things to make those happen. So time, right? So you want to make sure that you have the ability to really do at least three things well. (laughs) So I'm a proponent of the rule of three to five. I think if you have more than three to five goals, you probably have too many. If you have fewer than three goals, probably still have some room to grow there. But I think it's about narrowing that field down. And it, it's the it's the old Venn diagram. It's where the three circles intersect of what do we have the opportunity to do? Mm-hmm. What do we have the will to do? And what do we have the resources to do? Where wow. those three things come together, opportunity, will, and resources, that tends to be the sweet spot for an organization. I love it. I love that so much. And, and that goes back to, you know, I really and just love the way that you're laying out too, like, the board is there to govern. They're not there to micromanage, but if they don't have these healthy habits, you know, set up, it's really hard for them to govern effectively. So, you know, like even you talking about like uh, the orientation, and this is where I really see the ball drop quite a bit as well Is a lot of times board members, there's not like an SOP or like, you know, like a way to onboard. So they know how to feel successful. And I've been on a lot of boards. Most boards don't have that. Right. And it's like, okay, we have to formulate that. So otherwise as a board member, I'm not really going to know what to do and I'm not going to feel successful or like my skills were utilized. You know what I mean? And it's going to feel kind of like, oh, I let them down because I didn't really know what to do. You know what I mean? So just from, from like a psychological or emotional point of view, it can really harm the kind of camaraderie that you're trying to create, right? Without that. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're so right. And it's an area that I'm passionate about. And I always tell nonprofits, throw out the binder. Yeah. For years, we have seen organizations try to orient board members with the binder. And we think that if we go from a three inch binder to a five inch binder, we will somehow have more prepared board (laughs) members. And it's the exact opposite. It's not the way people learn. It's not the way board members want to be introduced to the organization. We want that human contact. Mm-hmm. So a thoughtful orientation program is one where there's time spent with the executive director, learning about that person's unique perspective, time spent with other board members, time spent with staff members such as grant writers to mm-hmm. say, what do you do? How do you contribute to the mission? How can I, as a new board member, support and amplify your work? That's that's really where the magic happens when it comes to orientation. 
I love that. I love that so much, like spending time, right? And that's just something that a lot of people don't do. They feel very separated then. So I love like bringing it together, but instead of making it so like, I feel like, you know, I'm micromanaging you and this is my job and what do I need to do next? It's like, no, learn from, as board member, learn from the employees, right? And what are their real skill sets? You know, what are the things that, you know, they can do really well and how can I support you? So I love that perspective. That's so good. I can just imagine the different nonprofits that are listening out there right now are like, oh, I'm picking up some things like for my board. But now if I am listening to this as an executive director and I'm like, this is golden, my board would dramatically improve and they would feel more confident in what they're doing. Um, but how can I, as an executive director, tell them these things? Because I still, you know what I mean? Like, do the, your habits, do this board. Uh, and the board might be yeah. like, what? <laughs> sometimes it's the message and sometimes mm. it's the messenger, yes. right? There's a difference there. The executive director sometimes can be delivering exactly the right message, but they are not the proper messenger for the board to hear that from. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. sometimes there's a benefit to working with an external facilitator, working with a consultant, someone like you, Holly, someone, you know, who has experience. Oftentimes that can happen in a board retreat where we have the opportunity to step back from the day-to-day business of the board or the day-to-day -day business of meetings and take a more holistic look at the organization and say, where are we at this snapshot in time? What does where we are right now demand and require of me as a board member, you as an executive director, you as a senior staff member, right? That's when some of those conversations can take place. And again, sometimes the executive director has to step back and say, I may not be the best person to deliver this message. My board may hear this differently if it comes from person X rather than from me. Maybe that's another board member. Maybe mm -hmm. that's an external facilitator. Maybe that's a senior staff member. But I think one of the challenges um, that really talented executive directors master over time, and it comes with experience, is that humility to say, I may not be the right messenger to deliver this particular message. Who can I have who can I put in position to succeed that ultimately is going to benefit me and my leadership of this organization? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like it's so interesting, especially with consultants, like sometimes people just need to hear things, whether that's the board or the executive director from a consultant rather than from a staff person. They really, it's a, even if you're saying the it's, exact same thing, it changes. It is amazing really how many times. After a board retreat, like a month later, I will get an email or a phone call from the executive director who says, I can't believe it. I said the exact same thing that you said at the board retreat a hundred times to the board, and it never made a difference. You said it at the board retreat, and now they keep quoting it back to me. And it's yeah. just, sometimes yeah. it's the message, sometimes it's the messenger. I love that. Yeah, and that's so true. And, you know, and that's the other thing too is, okay, so now we kind of looked at, if you already have any ED, if you have maybe like a more moderate sized nonprofit, but those people listening or watching out there that are like, I'm just trying to put a board together. This all sounds like dandy, but at the same time, I'm really just trying to find people. And then maybe there's kind of a little desperation, like we need to get going. I just need to get some people like and select them. I mean, what do you say to them? Do you say like, we'll still like put on the brakes, make sure you're finding the right people. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? If they're ready to go and just kind of throw something together real quick so they can start doing their mission. 
I love that question. My heart has always been with the small to mid-sized nonprofit. My first nonprofit that that I led, um, you know, we had a board of three when I showed up that met quarterly. So if you want to talk about disengaged wow. and yeah. not enough, uh, not not enough people at the table, that that was it. So I've been where those folks are. I still say it's important to have intentionality. Intentionality mm-hmm. doesn't mean delay. It mm-hmm. just means we want to be focused. It's a lot more difficult to remove a difficult board member than it is to be thoughtful on the front end before mm-hmm. we invite someone to serve. Mm-hmm. We don't want to recruit our future problems. So many times, a lot of times, and it's natural, right? We're, we're stressed. We're under pressure, under the gun. Resources are tight. We feel like we need to grow the board. We welcome, you know, anyone who's willing to serve. The problem is we're recruiting our own issue because so many times, six months later, a year later, I'll hear from that same executive director. I can't get my board to engage. I can't get my board to show up. But when you ask them to serve, the ask was, can you just do what you can? Or can you just help out where you can? And we haven't given them that solid foundation and that solid set of expectations. So that doesn't need to delay the process, but it does need to say, let's just have some focus before we bring new folks onto the board, make sure they're the right fit. And in some ways, there's some parts of that. I mean, definitely silver lining because you can start developing those onboarding processes from the get-go, right? Like it may be harder, like like we're just saying, you may need an outside messenger to help you set up those systems later. And that may take longer than just starting with, okay, making sure I have those healthy habits, right? Now that you guys are listening to this podcast. <laughs> you know Holly, executive directors are notoriously, I was guilty of this myself, so I, I am I'm throwing myself under the bus here. Executive directors are notorious for thinking we have to do it all, all ourselves. Uh, yes. And in reality, maybe you don't need to draft up the job description. Maybe mm-hmm. there's another organization that would share theirs with you. Maybe there's a consultant who has job descriptions who are already written, who has an orientation protocol or process that has worked well with other organizations. We don't always have to reinvent the wheel. It's a lot easier to take something that you know is effective and customize it for what is comfortable for you than it is to create it from scratch. So as you were talking about, you know, when we're under pressure or feeling like we have to move quickly, sometimes being able to take something that someone else has already done and adapt it is a lot more effective and efficient than trying to create something from scratch. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And you know, and this is just like really building up this healthy uh, governance. So then there can be assistance as well and they can really help. So, you know, things that the, the, the board can consider doing, you did talk about this a little bit as far as like knowing what their part of like how much they're going to be contributing a certain amount of money and that, you know, our funding towards the nonprofit when they come on and maybe that's through fundraising. It doesn't have to be out of their bank account. Right. Um, or like you mentioned, even opening the doors. So I think those are really big things that, especially with the grant writers and fundraisers out there, when you're thinking about your board, like, do you kind of, you know, because there is a big kind of movement as far as like board directors should also help contribute to raise a certain about amount of fundraising. And then some other people push back and say they're not fundraisers. So kind of where's your, where's your take on this? It depends on the organization. So I work with a lot of boards where the organization would go under if the board wasn't actively fundraising. That has to be a critical part of their job description or the business model of the organization doesn't work. 
I work with a lot of other boards where fundraising and philanthropy is just not part of the essentials of that business model. So mm -hmm. I think it depends on the, you know, the individual board. Generally speaking, I want board members who do three things, the, uh, the three Ds. I want them to be doers, I want them to be donors, and I want them to be door openers. So mm -hmm. as the executive director and the staff need something in the way of support from the board, that's the doers piece. Mm -hmm. Donors is give of themselves. If it's not a monetary gift, if it's not a financial gift, they're giving something of themselves. And then finally, door openers. Every nonprofit organization, whether they're a fundraising board or not a fundraising board, is going to benefit from board members who are willing to open up their network and mm -hmm. share the mission of the organization with those who would who would equally care about it. I love that. I love that. That's easy to remember as well. And just even Doers, that, donors and door open. Yeah, yeah. And, and just those three things, like yep. if that's the main thing, like that's you know, like that can change a, a board dramatically and that can give board members direction. So that would be another D. Yeah. <laughs> so and then it's the it's the overlooked element when we recruit board members. So many times I'll talk to executive directors and they'll say, I don't understand why my board is not engaged. I recruited, I, I have the perfect mix. I have a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, um, or and I have people who are so well connected in the community and it's just not working. It's because they've missed that missing ingredient of time. Yeah. Most important when you recruit board members is do they have the time to serve? If mm -hmm. I hear a board member I'm serving on nine other boards. Guess what? You're never going to be the top of their list. There are nine other organizations competing for that board member's time, talent, and attention, right? So one of the most important ingredients when you recruit a board member is do they have the time to commit to service? Right. I, and I love that. And then, and then knowing what to do, right? Those three Ds, like knowing, you know, these are things that I can do. I can open doors. I can be a donor i can you know be a doer right like all of the things so they're very clear then and they feel and just going back to my own experience too right you want to feel successful you want to feel like and it doesn't mean you have to take so much more of your time but there is definitely a time element but when your time is used efficiently instead of you're like okay i'm showing up to these meetings but they're not asking me to do anything and i have no idea what's really going on so <laughs> And it ultimately goes back to that job description where we started the conversation. I always encourage organizations, put the approximate amount of time you expect from board members in that job description. If you're asking for four hours a month of their time, put that in the job description. No one wants to join a board to fail, but yeah. they need to know up front, this is what the expectation is. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. This has been so helpful. I just love it because, you know, this is like I mentioned, you know, I mentioned it again, it's like where that gap can be a lot of times. It's just coming from that governance side and, you know, just having that communication and everyone kind of knowing what's going on because it can feel as a grant writer, as a fundraiser, like you are kind of just getting things thrown on your lap and you're not really sure like what those main goals are or what the strategy is. So also just knowing that and being aware of that from, cause a lot of times that's just top down and it's not necessarily, it doesn't go down all the way, like it doesn't drift yes. down all the way. So is there anything that you can just mention to that on how the board can really communicate more with the staff and the staff can really get that buy-in as far as part of like, okay, we know what the strat this strategy is or the main goal. The, the metaphor that I share with boards all mm -hmm. the time at, at retreats is, is robo 
right? If you if you think about being in a canoe, being in a rowboat, where we've got to row together, right? If we have the staff rowing at one speed over here, and we have the board on the other side, not rowing or rowing too fast or too slow, we're going to spin around in circles. Mm. It's the same way with our nonprofit organization. We have to establish a rhythm and a consistency of how we're governing this organization and how we're leading the organization. And we have to move together. And that requires communication. That yeah. requires me to understand what are you doing over here? What are your challenges? What, you know, what support or encouragement do you need? And then what is the board doing over here? What are their challenges? Where do they need some additional training, learning, or support? Because we've got to row together. That's the only way the the, the ship starts moving forward. I love that. I love that so much. So that such great tips today. I love it. I know people are going to walk away with really good, like, oh my gosh, if they're on a board, like this is, oh, wow. <laughs> it's more clarity. And if they're in a nonprofit, if they're in the fundraising or an ED, this can be really helpful as well, because there's those habits that they can really think about and, and how they can relate to the board a bit more, right? Um, because yeah, it is, it's creating a culture right, at your nonprofit and all these sides need to mesh up, right? So I, I love that you you can come on and speak about this. And you also do this, as we mentioned, in your company. So where can people find Nielsen Training and Consulting um, and find oh, out how you. to do Gregory? <laughs> um, you can always find us on the web at nielsenconsults.com. That's N-I-E-L-S-E-N consults.com. You can also connect with me directly on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. And you can always find the podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform, Nonprofit Vision. I love that so much. And we'll definitely have all the links in the show notes. So if you guys want to jump over there as well and find out more about Gregory and um, all the things that you guys are doing over there to support nonprofits with governance, with strategic planning, with leadership. Um, so that can be really helpful if you guys want that different messenger. <laughs> yeah. So thank you again, Gregory, for coming on the Grant Writing and Finding Podcast. So awesome to talk to you again. And I'm sure we'll be talking more in the future. So any closing Holly, you're incredible. And it's been, a, it's been an honor and a privilege to be with you. Thank you so much. All right. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Gregory. I hope you enjoyed this episode today with Gregory Nielsen of Nielsen Training and Consulting. What a great way to talk about different habits around fundraising and philanthropy and leadership and so much more. Once again, for all of today's show notes, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 293. You can also see how to get a hold of Gregory there. Um, and more information. And of course, please join our newsletter when you're there, our Hub Haven. Go ahead and get our free weekly newsletter tips, our stress-free nuggets is what I like to call them, on how to reduce your stress around grant writing and having a freelance grant writing business. If you're interested in learning how to write grants and getting paid to write grants, even to five to six figures every single year, be sure to check out our five-step checklist on our website. You can get more information on grantwritingandfunding.com. And once again, a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Bloomerang. If you're looking to increase your donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software, you are definitely going to want to check out Bloomerang because all you nonprofits out there, you need more than grants to keep your nonprofit afloat. Your donor should be the anchor of your financials for your organization and to help drive your mission of your nonprofit. So once again, jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 293 to see more about today's episode and our friends at Bloomerang. And of course, a ton of other free resources that we offer. And if you love this podcast episode, we would love to know about it. Please do subscribe to the podcast and would you do me a favor? Please leave a review or rating on your podcast player. That helps so many other people find this podcast 
podcast so change makers out there can keep getting grants and keep getting funding so they can keep driving the mission of their nonprofit. And so you grant writers out there who actually want to start a business can get more resources so you can help those nonprofits keep driving the mission forward. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.